Are you experienced? Have you ever been experienced? with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 457, a.k.a. Year 9, Week 33, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with... MC and... KS. And since this is your regularly scheduled Saturday broadcast, we are on around 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Clubhouse. You can find us there. The club is the Anarchist Experience or you can at me, at Riches for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H, and I will click the invitation button or click on your little name uh, when I go live to let you know that we are on the show. Uh, that being said, what is going on with you guys this week? Um, just living living and breathing. Uh, crickets. Yeah. Crickets, yeah. <laughs> so, but, crickets. You know, I mean, I've always got headlines when this comes up, but I, you know, the, the big news this week without a headline needing to you know proceed it was the the client list being released somewhat the mm, the, the Epstein, unredacted huh? report of Jeffrey Epstein and i i want to say that i'm underwhelmed with i guess some yeah, of the reports it was a little anticlimactic wasn't it i mean it does seem that way doesn't it mm-hmm. and and so much to the point where you know the the regular group of conspiracy theorists we're saying like, oh, of course, with everything else going on, now they'll release the names to distract us from the other things. And I just, you know, checking in with you guys to see. Or vice versa. The other things were intended to distract us from this. Well, well, yes, but that's not how, the, that's not how some of the other outlets were portraying it, right? Like yeah. for so long, you know, everybody, everybody all of a sudden cared uh, that a that a pedophile committed suicide, right? Like if it was any other pedophile, you know, good, they should have been fucking murdered to begin with. Uh, but this one, it's like, no, he should still be alive right now. We don't, we don't, we do not want him dead. Uh, and then the you know the the list, right? He didn't kill himself. We we want the names. We want all the names of anyone who's ever flown on his plane, spent time on his island. Like, give us the names for years. Uh, and now that the names are out. You know, it was like, they're just giving us the names to distract us from the wars that are going on in the world. And it just seems a little, I'm going to say, befuddling to me. Uh, and again, anticlimactic. Like, okay, so the, there's the names. Was there any surprise names on there? Like, was there anyone, you know, did any one name jump off? Like, oh, I can't believe he was a part of it. You know, every, well, everyone I, that I he remember, expected was there. I didn't know that Ehud Barak had been so many times at... Um, um, at Epstein's place, um, you know that one was a sort of a surprise. But the only thing, but the thing is, it it seems to be just a calendar of of um, appointments. It didn't. Uh, there was nothing salacious about it, saying that they made an appointment for sex. They just said they made an appointment, and so they all could excuse it by saying, "Oh yeah, I, I, I was talking about him with him about contributions to such and such a fund." Yeah, they need to release the videotape. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that is Which that what's w- next? 
No, they're not going to. Okay. But, um, uh, Release the child was, porn of Bill Clinton banging children. Yeah, basically. That will sway um, our opinion on Bill Clinton. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> it might go up. Who knows? The way it does with Trump. Uh, affects people, yeah. Um, yeah, so the, the tapes exist, and there, there's photos of the tapes being discovered uh, by the FBI for the second time. Okay. On on the island, so the so the FBI had the tapes. They watched them, and they they gave them back to to Epstein. So they found them on the island again. And uh, so was it a nothing to see here type of thing? Or like, what's what are you intimating? At? No, se- probably sex tapes. Probably for blackmail. Okay. Yeah. No, I get it. But then why give them so, that? Yeah. Well, because he's part of the the, ah. the deep state uh, blackmail operation. Okay. And the FBI was like, oh yeah, uh, Epstein's a. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Informant? An informant, yeah. Okay. So he needs to have those tapes. That's part of his undercover work. <laughs> so well, it's, it's not that he needs them. It's just like that's that's how the whole system was working and shouldn't have taken them from him in the first place. Ah. Like uh, the, the Lord of War movie towards the end, which is, you know, some guy's going to come in, pat you on the back, tell you good job, and then they're going to let me go type of thing yeah maybe like um, good work lower level fbi agent you know you did so good work but we're gonna if, we're gonna go ahead and let this go if you're really interested in how deep the conspiracy goes there's this woman i think she's in south america now uh whitney webb but she she's excellent at recalling all these names and 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 uh, uh weaving the the web of the deep state and what she says uh, surprised her the most was how normal it is for this type of stuff to happen. Oops, at the excuse me, at the at the top levels. Okay. And so, so yeah, they're they're just they're all uh, pl- playing this uh, you know blackmail game, and and it's like another day at the office for them. Yeah, I guess to me that doesn't surprise me. Like that's that sounds about right. Right. Like I've, you know, when, when we've covered this in the past, what I've said, what I've said was, you know, you get, you get to that level and the only thing left to do is things that no one else is allowed to do. Right. And so it's like, well, you know, that's, that's where the weird obsession with children comes in, the, you know, the the blackmail. And then it's like, well, if you're going to do it, right, of course they're going to hang it over your head because that's, that's now the, the levers of power. Right, like now you have to listen to us, or we'll release this, and now you have control. You know, well, who has control? The person with the tapes. the per- The person banging the kids gives up all control. Right now, they're a puppet to whoever has the tapes. Unless well, they're Epstein in wasn't, then in, it doesn't matter. Epstein wasn't in control. Okay, you don't. He, think- he was. He was a pawn. Just, and that's the thing. I don't think. I don't think any of them are actually in control. I think it's just a big club, and and uh, and they all, all like to point fingers at each other and and do crazy things, and and that that's acceptable to them. <laughs> okay. Well, who? Well, surmise then who was who was Jeffrey Epstein a pawn for? Uh, I just call it the deep state. Okay. So so the, whoever's in whoever's in the FBI and the CIA, basically who whoever's right now, uh, c- can say, oh yeah, this 
this list won't come out until this day, and we won't give you all of it. And these okay. tapes, we're not going to give you at all. And 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 uh, the 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 uh, what do you call it? The um, the JFK uh, information, you know, it's never going to come out. And okay. so those those are the people. Well, yeah, but it, that's you know, I I get that we can talk about like the deep state and those, you know, those who wield wield the actual power. But if you're if you're blackmailing the president, right? Like Bill Clinton or whomever, if you're blackmailing the president, he's going to do things that you want him to do. Now, the deep state is a vague amalgam, a cabal, you know, a collective of some kind, right? But they're are you suggesting that they're all in agreement on what needs to be done next? Like is that the Bilderberg meetings or whatever? You know where they're all getting together, because Bill Clinton. If they built, if they're blackmailing Bill Clinton, someone has to say like, "This is what you're going to do, or else we release the tapes, right?" And if that if that's um, like sure. the deep state, okay, fine, right? But Jeffrey Epstein has the tapes, and he because he has the tapes through that process, he is made a very rich and powerful person, and allowed to continue this operation, whereas anybody else would be quickly arrested, detained, and whatnot, until he steps out of line, right? Because when you have that much blackmail power over anybody, right, you, you become a target if they don't want to participate anymore. Or, or he just gets caught too many times, and then they have to put him under. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a mistake along the way, right? Like, man, you can't, you can't keep getting caught because we can't keep covering for you every time, you know? And so he goes what under. Me is that they they still call it a suicide. I I, I find that so so doubtful. Uh, I mean, well, he was alone in his cell. Yes, there's no one else around to kill him. So, who hung him? Well, the cameras were out. We don't know that. They, I mean, I I suspect. Well, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, he was supposed to be on watch. The guards were absent that day. The cameras were out that day. Um, you know they yeah that's the main story that or the the the, the storyline that he was yeah. alone in his cell and killed himself but well that's what feeds into the conspiracy right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's supposed to be watched they're supposed to be monitoring you know um, one of the one of the oh, do I have it no I don't have it for this show one of the other things that came out um, this week was uh, al along with this Epstein client list. Like one of the uh, lawyers' offices got raided that had some documents from some servers or whatever, and ransacked or whatever. Let me see. Let me see if I can find that elsewhere. You know, and it's like it's convenient. Oh yeah, of course, of course. This is when that would happen. Jeffrey Epstein's fixer's office burglarized hours before document dump. I don't understand that. Uh, before the release of these documents. Someone, is, someone within like that Epstein group, got their office burglarized. Uh, mm -hmm. Michael Citrick, a renowned Hollywood crisis manager, says New Year's Day theft of computers as Brentwood office, yada yada yada. And and so they asked him like, "How? Oh, kind of convenient." He's like, "Why well, did even consider the Epstein thing? It's just just a random burglary to me." <laughs> so, like it, it's. It feed it. It does two things, right? It it obfuscates the truth and feeds into the conspiracy, because mm -hmm. no one will know for certain. You'll never get the real truth, 
And the conspiracy-minded individuals will run with it because they've got nothing else to go on, right? Mm. Like, oh, we we all can have a th- we all have a theory on what happened in Jeffrey Epstein's cell, but the cameras were out, the guards were gone, no one knows for certain. We we presume that he was there alone. We obviously that's false. Otherwise, they the cameras would have been on and the guards would have been around. And so, even clearly, they say that the analysts afterwards say that that it would have been impossible for him to kill him so if in the way that he was found sure it's hard to snap your own neck with just a towel and some bars or whatever i don't remember all Mm -hmm. the the details but there's still people you know there's still jfk conspiracy theorists right you mentioned that we'll never know that true answer yeah right i mean we're we're now in the realm of going on 20 plus years of 9 11 conspiracy theory right you'll never get all the answers but do you need the answers like who cares just you you know that you know that someone in the deep state uh, as you put mc or you know government officials or some kind right are are the ones in charge doing things not in your best interest and you need to navigate that world as best you can i guess the question comes to my mind if if the deep state is so in control to be able to do these things secretly, how come their control isn't more so? How come it isn't, you know, greater than it is? Um, give me an example of what you're what you're thinking. Well, I mean, we we're we're here talking about this. If they were so in control, they you think they would shut down the... talking about it? Okay. Yeah. Because we don't have a big audience that's having big impact. Um, well, it's quite possible because they don't they don't feel threatened enough. Okay. And at the same time, they're they're working towards that, and maybe they will get what they want someday. <laughs> so I I will I will do my best to answer your question, uh, KS. Um, we're talking about it because, as MC put, pointed out, we're not a large enough voice, right? We're we are not we are uh, you know a gnat in the room to them, not worth their time to swat. Now. Free Talk Live, the radio show, is the most rated show, talk show, ever, in the history of ever. Like, that studio has been rated on at least two separate occasions, as far as I know, and the presumed goal is to get those voices off the air, right? They, they rated the studio several years ago. Um, they took all the all the all the electronic equipment, all the computers that were used for the show, on the claims that that uh, that IP address had accessed child pornography, right? And that's a big one, right? That's the big no-no, all right? Child porn, string them up from the you know from the intestines, right? Those guys get murdered in prison, and so they tried to pin child porn uh, on Free Talk Live. No files, no charges were ever filed, and recently, within the last two years, I think, um, all of the computer equipment had been returned. Nothing found. They had it. They had it for like five or six or whatever years, and found no child pornography on the on the computers, at all. Now, why did they attack Free Talk Live? Because Free Talk Live pointed out uh, that one of the biggest, you know, underground child porn websites was actually being run by the FBI for years, you know, mm-hmm. putting countless number of, of children and minors in danger, 
right, for years in the hopes of catching a handful of pedophiles, right? And so Free Talk Live mentioned it at the time, got raided, right? And then several, and then just a few years ago, it gets raided again for selling Bitcoin, basically, right? They, they, they brought the tank, they battering ram through the window, they did an armed raid, a no-knock armed raid at 6 o'clock in the morning when everyone in the home was still sleeping. It was a coordinated effort because they raided multiple houses at the same time. You know, uh, Aria is in prison right now, but her house, her house down the street, you know, a couple miles away from the studio was raided simultaneously. A business was raided simultaneously. Another house was raided simultaneously. Armed guards, guns pointed, right? Like the, the most peaceful talk show on the planet who preaches peace, love, and liberty, right? All raided for selling Bitcoin. Okay. Like, if you want to believe that, fine, right? But the underlying thing is we're, like, the number one show who speaks out against, you know, this government overreach, this government oppression, the enslavement of humanity by, you know, the, the known state, not the deep state, just just the one that's, you know, f- facing the public, right? We call them out for the lies. We call them out for the, the horrors that they cause. We call them out for the wars that they initiate. And And that one... Has been uh, has been tried to be shut down a number of times, and it's only been around for you know just over 20, 20 years or so. It's you know so if you if you're big enough and on the radar, right? They're gonna get you. And Ian uh, has a hearing coming up that was supposed to be this week or something, you know, yesterday or whatever, and it got postponed. But he's facing like eight years in prison for basically selling Bitcoin, but what did they actually get them on? Tax evasion, right? And they, uh, you know, they, they dropped a whole bunch of charges, but one of the big ones, you know, that, that, always, sticks, that always sticks when they try to, when they're, when they're going after people, right? Al Capone, tax evasion, mm-hmm. Ian Freeman, tax evasion. Was Erwin uh, uh, Schiff, tax evasion. Larkin Rose, willful fail the file. Right, they all they always hang up the dissidents on a tax charge of some kind, because they know that that's what, that's what the people will 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 find them guilty of. Right, they they will beat their own rather than rather than use that opportunity to throw off their own chains. They use those chains to to hold everyone else down. And interestingly, that's a uh, a charge that the general public accepts as well. They say, oh, they were tax evaders, you know, because yep. everybody's got to pay their fair share, you know. Yeah. yeah. But in testimony, right, like, I don't, you know, this is secondhand information for me because I didn't hear it, and I know, I'm sure someone has the transcript somewhere. Um, in testimony, they don't know how much Ian Freeman owed, right? Like, one of the questions the defense, uh, you know, asked was, you know, you've got all this documents, you know, is it possible is it possible that he doesn't owe any money in taxes? And they go, yeah, it's possible. Like, we don't, we don't know. Well, if you don't know, how can he be charged with, with, with evading it? He might not owe anything. <laughs> it's very possible that he owes nothing, might even, you know, might even qualify for some sort of a refund or a return, but you're going to find him guilty and sentence him for evading when you can't even prove that he owes anything because the guilt, because the jury found him guilty. So, same point, if, if your voice is loud enough, if your platform is big enough, 
You know, I don't I don't know who made the call at the FBI, right, to, to make the claim that, you know, there was child porn in the radio studio. Go get them, boys. And they found nothing. And who made the call that there was Bitcoin being sold by the host of the radio show? You know, but it's, you know, it, the conspiracy side of things goes, well, we're the loudest voice against the we're the loudest anti-state voice in the country. And as as the show grows as the tides turn, as our platform gets bigger, right, that's when they go on the attack. Little podcast like this, you're probably okay. Right? Running the running the libertarian group in your home state, in your home community, you're probably okay. National level, shut it down. Right. The the um, Jeremy Kaufman, uh, you know, free stater here. Uh, started the the library LBRY protocol, right? Of of which Odyssey is run on. Had a multi year battle with the SEC, which he fought pretty much single handedly. You know, I'm sure you know attorneys involved or whatever, but they went after him. Why? Well, because he's a dissident here in New Hampshire, trying to trying to solve the problem of state over of government overreach developed software that can get around the censors and so he's taken down and you know as best they can so like i said when your when your platform gets big enough and your voice gets loud enough they they will take notice you can stay small stay under the radar do your thing like i said this this podcast probably okay right you're probably like you know, I don't, the, the, the listeners aren't high. The active participants on Clubhouse is virtually nil, save for a couple of weeks ago. Right? I don't know how many people are listening or how many people care. We kind of, we do this just for, I'm going to say, I, well, I say I, I do this just for the fun of it. Um, I know MC, when we first discussed it almost 10 years ago, it was a legacy thing for you. Like I want, I want my legacy in audio form. And so we did it. If it had taken off, you know, more so financially, that would have been nice, right? But it's not. It hasn't. It probably won't. But it's just, it's not on their radar. The deep state doesn't care. We, we need not be made an example of because you can already point at us and laugh for the lack of success we've had. And that should be enough. They're not. Is this archived somewhere? Uh, I, have, I have all the master files. Um, I have uploaded it all to a website for the podcast. And I think lack of activity means that they no longer keep the masters. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I had it backed up on a website. I have all the masters on multiple hard drives here in my home. Um, all the files are uploaded to SoundCloud. That's the the main source of it. So it's it's out there. It would t- it would you know it would take a it would take an effort to destroy all the records. And if it becomes big enough, I'm sure they'll find a way. Right, you subpoena SoundCloud. You steal all my hard drives. You find all the backups where I may or may not have hidden them, and poof, the show's gone. Unfortunately, not you know, not exactly the same scenario. But this happened. Uh, there used to be a podcast called like The Adventures of Citizen X. Have you ever? Did you happen to ever come across that? It's probably ten, fifteen years ago. No. Okay. No. Um, Citizen X was Glenn Jacobs also known as Kane from the WWE and the mayor of Knox, Tennessee. He did a podcast for a little while. Like, I don't know how long it ran, but I listened to it. Um, and at the time, I wasn't backing up podcasts. I listened to it. I deleted it, whatever. Um, 
And several years ago, it came out that he had lost the Masters for the podcast and was like fishing around to see if anybody still had them saved somewhere uh, so that they can be recompiled. Um, and as far as I know, the, that didn't come to fruition. And that podcast is just gone. Like all the work of Citizen X, just memory hold um, because no one bothered to save it and he lost it. Well, just out of curiosity, who um, an archive like that, um, is it, are there people who, who are interested in reviewing the archive in that way? You know, I mean, is there somebody going to listen to it after? If, if there's nobody listening to it now, <clears throat> 10 years from now, who would be interested in listening to uh, that as well? I don't know. MC's grandkids. We want to hear Pop Pop's voice. Play that <laughs> radio show he used to be on. I can't imagine my... <laughs> My okay, probably nobody. That. That's the answer. <laughs> well, who's reading your book, KS? Right? Same yeah, thing. That's a classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it, it wasn't at the time. It was just a book that you've spent years, you know, turning into it was a classic. It was effective. It was, yeah. But that's that's the legacy right there, right? It's not... It, uh, no offense, but it's likely not going to be the students that graduate from your econ class, mm. right? Like there, yeah. So, good point. Yeah, there's a, a an old quote. It's you know, write something worth reading or do something worth writing about. And I don't like to write, so we got to figure out a way to do something worth writing about. And if you're not doing or something not. worth writing about, figure it out. Well, interestingly, I, I just listened to the biography of um, Benjamin Franklin, and I'm thinking, well, most all of it's based on letters that he and people were just writing back and forth. And most for the most part, someone could have asked them at the same time, well, you know, okay, you wrote this letter to your friend or your friend or family member wrote a letter to you. Um, why are you keeping copies of it? And that they did, and then later whole books and whole philosophies and whole movements are built on just those little discourses that seem to be just between one or two people. So n now you have to run for president. <laughs> yeah, yeah. to make it make somebody interested and, in those letters. And, and then all your emails will become really important. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, if you know, if if I'm ever popular enough to be hung for treason, and you, you can better believe that they'll figure out a way to get these archives out there so everyone mm -hmm. knows what I said, when I said it, what my position was for the duration of the time that I probably behaved treasonously. Well, just critical taxes, that's all I took, I guess. That's, you know, if, if that's enough for them, right? It's, it's amazing how many people you talk to, right, you know, that I've talked to, and the, the you know, the taxes comes up, and it's like, well... You know, if it's not the price you pay for a civilized society, it's to avoid being imprisoned. Right? I just don't want to go to jail. I just want to live my life, keep my head down, pay my taxes. And I go like, why would you support a government that treats you like that? Why is this, why is this the ideal situation? I rarely get a good answer for that. Mm. Right? But like this, this, is, this is supposed to be, you know, your government, you're the people. They're supposed to be there to serve and protect you. And the, the only reason, you know, the, the only reason that 
you give them money so that they don't hurt you? Well, who wants that kind of government? That doesn't sound like it's for the people or for a level of protection. That sounds like the enemy. The enemy is the people you pay, you know, so that they don't hurt you. Your enemy, the gang, is the people you pay, you know, the protection money to so that they don't hurt you. They're not protecting you from other gangs. That's the claim. They're protecting you from them. That doesn't sound right. That never made and sense to me. That's the logic of every of any protection racket. You know. Right, but but they don't see it as a protection racket because this is, mm -hmm. it's tied to their country. This is their territory. This is my government. My government protects me from what they would do to me if I didn't pay them. And it makes perfect sense to most of the people I've talked to. Which is why when you get strung up for tax evasion, right, all those people go, well, I'm paying so that I don't go to jail. You think you can get away with not paying? Well, then you go to jail. Mm -hmm. Again, not realizing that if they don't send him to jail, right, it makes it that much harder for them to get sent to jail if they if they withdrew from that system as well. Right? If if all the juries decided that they don't want to pay taxes anymore and taxes are, you know, extortions, not the price you pay for a civilized society, then they couldn't get anybody for tax evasion because all the juries would nullify. It would be it would be void off the books overnight, immediately. Couldn't do anything about it. You stop paying, they arrest you, the jury acquits you, and then you move on with life. You wouldn't even need to hire a good attorney because you would just know, like, yeah, this is not a thing anymore. You you got nothing. They would stop spending the money to enforce it because they'd have dwindling resources of everybody not paying until just poof, it's just gone. Until the, until they become you know the 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 muggers and thieves that they are, right? And then they have to go back out and and plunder and pillage to get it, and then and then it becomes real obvious who they are, right? If they if they have to roll in what's left of their tank brigade into a town and hold everyone at gunpoint to extract the money because the court systems let them down through the jury selection system. Right. Then, then you would see them for what they truly are. But as long as they have, you know, the deep state has the general public fighting amongst themselves over the payment of extortion fees to the state, right? They, they need not get involved in that way. They can maintain the appearance of benevolent, benevolent leaders from on high, protecting us from foreign invaders, drugs, crime, and all that other stuff that. They purport to do. And that's not going to change because we haven't changed enough people's minds about what they do and how they do it and how bad it really is and how bad it's going to get. And this show, you know, is just is too small to get that message across to the amount of people that need to hear it. It didn't. It, it's never gone viral, likely never will. If we do have a handful of listeners, it's not being shared anywhere. No one goes like, oh, man, you know, my friends and family need to hear this message. I'm going to share this show with them. And it could be poor marketing on our part, right? It's got the word anarchist in there. People are scared of that. No one wants to listen to it. Whatever. I consider myself a cult leader because I started a cult. I'm like, well, if it gets popular, maybe I'll change the name to a church. But for now, it's a cult. I recognize that, you know. Christianity is the biggest cult on the planet. Fine. Muslims are right up there. 
Islam. All starts as a cult. Scientology, still a cult. It's all cults, but just big enough to be called a church. You get big, you get big enough, you can change the label. Well, I think you touched on a point about marketing. Um, you know, if if you, you know, if if you just want to say what you want to say, then you don't need marketing. But if you want people to um, tune into and hear and listen to what you're saying, um, then it's a lot of things. It's um, um, tact. It's uh, promotion. It's a lot of things to um, to want to grab the listen, the listener's um, ear and then mind. But if you know if, if it's just to hear ourselves talk, then you don't need to do that sort of thing. But if yeah, a lot, I think uh, there's it's just a cause and effect type of uh, logic behind it. If you want uh, a bigger audience, then you have to do the things that that um, appeal to a larger audience. But if it's having, if 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 it's just sort of fun to to not have that audience to worry about, then then it's a different thing, either good or bad. It's just a different different thing. Yeah, and it's you know it's cart before the horse type of thing, right? If I, if I wanted to spend the time and energy and resources to promote it to get it to that level, uh, I'd have to forego other things, like a real job, right? That pays the rent. And so I well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I you know, um, I have one of those jobs pays rent, but I still find time. There's lots of otherwise known as unoccupied time, which is used for a lot of various activities. Sometimes leisure, sometimes sleeping, sometimes. But I mean, it uh, you know you don't. It's not either or. I think there's um, a way of combining the two. Okay. Well, so you know then. Um, I put in more than a more than an hour's worth of time on this show. Preparing, yeah. Preparing actually, I'm quite impressed with the reading that you do to gather these headlines. Right. So, am I going to give that up in order to spend more time on the marketing? Like, I don't. I have some leisure time, right? But a lot of that unoccupied time, all I do is read headlines. Right. Twenty minutes here, twenty minutes there, half an hour if I get a good you know, if my day was so busy and I get home and there's like eight hundred headlines to thumb through, right? Guess who's staying up late, you know, to make sure I see all the headlines. Because I don't only do it for this show, I do it for Free Talk Live as well to make sure that I show up prepared, you know, when I go to do that show. Um, and because I come across them anyway, uh, I still feed the Free Talk Live people um the oddball stories that I come across for the Sunday show. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading articles for like three different programs just to make sure we have something to talk about. Well, I, I consider you an entrepreneur of the air and, and you're gathering information that is of interest to you. And it's therefore, I I think it's also of interest to a lot of people. I mean, I find your, your headlines very topical and your commentary about him also very interesting um so i uh, i mean this is not to diminish the the task of building the product but also you know it um, the entrepreneur other there's many kinds of entrepreneurs some who just build their product in in the garage for example and yeah. are satisfied with that i mean there are a lot of hobbyists for example who just work on their own they tinker on their own and and they're 
quite happy with that because it is satisfying in its own way. Um, if your object is to uh, touch a broader market or have a greater impact, uh, then just part of your entrepreneurship um, needs to include these other things. Yeah, you're right. And and all I'm suggesting from my from my perspective is I don't have the time to do that unless I give up something else. Yeah, sure. And and yeah. my life is full to the point where what I would have to give up is more like nine to five regular work. Now there are podcasters out there, right? Who are like this is all they do, mm. right? And but they've somehow hit that viral moment where beg, borrow, and stealing, right? You know, and I think a lot, you know, I'm going to walk back a little bit. Um, I talked to the captain, one of the hosts of Free Talk Live, and we have a slight disagreement on things because, and maybe maybe we're in agreement like on how we do it, but on, you know, the, the theoretics of it, like he doesn't like to ask people for money. Like I just, I'm going to, I'm, I, you know, he put out a, a three song L, uh, EP. I bought a copy of it from like 20 bucks, came on this really cool thumb drive. And I'm like, why don't you just pre-sell it, man? Like you have an audience, you, you, you're going to Porkfest, you know, why front the money when you can just pre-sell it, know how many you have to order and then just print to order. Like that's, that's a thing now. And he was like, well, I'm old school, you know, back in my day you front the money, you do all the production, you pay for the marketing, you do, you know, you do the guerrilla marketing, you print up the pamphlets, you hand them out on the street, you get people to, you know, you, you, you know, uh, wag people down, uh, as when you're, uh, you, you know, the carnival barker type of thing, like, Hey, come over to my station and buy my, you know, you do all of this stuff after you have the product. And I went that silly like that. That might've been how it's done before, Right, but pre-sales are a thing. Print on demand's a thing. You don't, you don't need, you don't need to exert that kind of resources. But at the same time, right? Like I don't the the podcasters that I have seen do well, as far as you know, making money just podcasting, are constantly asking for money. Right? They, you know, they they set the show up on on platforms where you can tip throughout the show. Hey, you want you want to read the super chat? Right, just drop me five bucks and I'll I'll read what you have to say on the air, right? They, they, you know, I do I do one call for money at the tail end of the show, and if you want to skip it because you know the show's over, you can, and that's because you know from the beginning I set up a Patreon, and I think the most Patreons we've had at any given time is two, and so we're getting like nine bucks a month at one time, and we might still be getting that now. I don't check it very often. Uh, but, you know, it's there for the people who want to pay. Uh, I just don't feel like disrupting the show to ask for money. Nor do I feel like, you know, nor do I feel like doing all the printing and pamphleteering. Um, you know, in the, the first few years, right, I shared it uh, across multiple places on social media. There were, you know, Facebook was where it was at. Um, so I, I spent like an hour and a half after the show just copying and pasting into all these different anarchist groups to try to get people to participate, to try to get people to listen. It would go up on my main page so that my friends and family would see it. And it, after a few years of getting like no traction, um, I just took that time back for myself. 
right? I don't post on Facebook anymore, so like, why would I spend all this time posting this on Facebook? And I go, no, if you want it, you know, if you, if you found it, thank you, and here it is. You know, it's on Telegram. That's it. That's where I post stuff. Telegram, SoundCloud for the, for the feed, you know, but if, if you want to know what's going on with the show, there's no social media presence outside of Telegram. But I can't even get like the three hosts on the show to all subscribe to the same Telegram channel where you can read the show prep ahead of time and know, what, you know, know what's upcoming to talk about. It's there. It's been there for years. But I spent, I spent a lot of time and effort trying to get it out to other people, and I just I gave up. All right, I'm, I'm taking my time back. You know, we're going back to like more of a hobby. I'll spend a half an hour when we wrap up um, editing, you know, producing it down, getting it uploaded to the appropriate places. I still share it on Hive and Steam, and that's about it. SoundCloud, Hive, Steam, Telegram, um, Apple Podcast. Right, that's that's the big places to find it. We're not on Amazon. We're not on Spotify. You can probably find it in your local feed. But that's, that's the extent of my effort as it stands right now. We got 13 subscribers on the Anarchist Experience Telegram. That seems low. I feel like we were over 20 at one point. Where'd they all go? 18 members on the other one. There's Woo. two. I don't know why there's two. But I will tell you one thing. There's one, there's a, you know, I hope he still listens. Uh, but occasionally I would like forget to check a box on SoundCloud and I'd immediately get a uh, message on Telegram saying like, hey, dude, I can't download the show. And I'd go like, oh, mm -hmm. fuck, thank you. And I'll go fix it. Right. So that's that's the extent. Has been for years. This it runs on LRN.FM. That also has been done for years. Like at, at any given time, if people are listening, if people are still listening to LRN.FM, they'll be hearing our show. To the point where I walked into the radio studio a couple of weeks ago, you know, after this, and the captain goes, hey, man, I was just listening to your voice. I go, what are you talking about? He's like, your show was on LRN. I go, okay, good. At least it's still in the rotation. Mm -hmm. So we're there, you know. And at, at one point, that was over, you know, you could, that was over six-figure listenership at any given time. So people are hearing it, hopefully. Well, maybe they're interested in the headlines. Let's let's go to your week's headlines. See what it is that that you've been searching. Headline: uh, Why are so many Californians dying? Uh, headline: HPD. This is Hawaii. No gun permits for the next forty days. And this was. This, this headline was a lot more salacious uh, when I first read it, but then they did an update once they got a hold of HPD. Um, it, was, it was something like, you know, uh, no Second Amendment. Oh, here you go. Honolulu Police Department declares no Second Amendment in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, headline, Apocalypse Now, the government's use of controlled chaos to maintain power. Uh, headline, Artificial Intelligence will transform education for the better if we let it. And then a couple of uh, immigration headlines you wanted to pull from last week, KS. Uh, three out of five illegal alien households are supported by taxpayer-funded welfare. And illegal immigrants with anchor babies using up more welfare than American citizens. So which one of those jumps out at you? Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the artificial intelligence one. Yeah, All right. me too. That sounds good. Artificial intelligence will transform education for the better if we let it. 
It's hard to believe that it was only a bit of a year ago that ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence AI bot, was introduced to the general public, giving us a taste of the transformative power of AI technologies. Today, 100 million people use ChatGPT each week. Despite its groundbreaking potential, fear of new AI technologies quickly began to set in. Soon after ChatGPT appeared, some schools and school districts started banning it. Given that the bot can create an eloquent response to any essay prompt within seconds, educators were worried that it would lead to widespread cheating. One conservative education commentator even suggested that ChatGPT could usher in a return of penmanship in the classroom. But conservatives aren't the only ones who are responding to emerging AI tools with regressive policies and practices. In October, the Biden administration issued an executive order establishing federal AI standards that could have a chilling effect on technological advancement. Innovation experts Adam Thierer wrote that EO represents the political, uh, excuse me, potential sea change in the nation's approach to digital technology markets as federal policymakers appear ready to shun the open invitation model that made American firms global leaders in almost every uh, computing and digital technology sector. With the United States now facing fierce competition from global AI companies in China and other nations, the danger exists that the country could put algorithmic innovators in a regulatory cage encumbering them with many layers of bureaucratic permission slips before any new product or service could launch. Just days before the Biden administration issued its directive, entrepreneur and investor Mark Andreessen explained that any top-down halt of emerging technologies will cause great harm by stymieing both great individual flourishing and collective human progress. Andreessen, who created the Mosaic web browser, and co-founded Netscape, as well as leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, wrote in his 5,000-word techno-optimist manifesto, We believe technology is liberatory, is liberatory, liberatory of human potential, liberatory of the human soul, the human spirit, expanding what it can mean to be free, to be fulfilled, to be alive. We believe technology opens the space of what it can mean to be human. Like Andreessen, I am a techno-optimist. Despite overblown fears of AI in the classroom and calls to return to pre-digital pedagogy, I believe that AI and other emerging technologies will transform education for the better. For starters, these technologies have the potential to accelerate self-directed education, empowering young people to take charge of their own learning. I decided to kick off 2024 with Liberate ED podcast, or Liberate Ed, but the ED's capitalized podcast. Uh, conversations on AI, emerging technologies, and the future of learning with microschool founder and tech entrepreneur Tobin uh, Slavin. A fellow techno-optimist, Slavin launched Acton Academy for Fort Lauderdale in 2022 and founded VPAL Labs, a startup working to create AI companions that combine the roles of personal tutor, life coach, and mentor. Slavin's microschool is part of the global Acton Academy network, of more than 300 independently operated, learner-driven schools serving thousands of learners. He is incubating his AI startup at his school to experiment with different ways that the VPAL AI companion can support learner autonomy. According to Slavin, because we're so focused on self-directed or learner-driven behavior, tools that we can put in the hands of the learner that allow them to function independently and not have to call on an adult to step in and rescue them or bother their friends who are also trying to focus on their work, anything that allows them to be more functional and independent, that's very interesting to us.
And that's what I see in the world of personalized education that's coming with AI. Fear of new technologies and the desire to control them may have more to do with fear of free people and the liberating potential of new technologies rather than of the technology itself. Whether it is in the printing press bringing books to the masses, the internet enabling content creation and knowledge sharing by ordinary people on an unprecedented scale, or AI bots in the classroom that challenge traditional teacher-directed educational practices, new technologies upend entrenched power structures through decentralization and individualization. Technology is nothing, said Apple co-founder Steve Jobs. What's important is that you have faith in people that they're basically good and smart, and if you give them tools, they'll do wonderful things with them. Replacing fear of new technologies with a faith in free people will unleash innovation and accelerate human potential, progress, and prosperity. In education, that means jettisoning concerns about AI in the classroom and imagining what is possible when young people truly have the freedom to learn. Uh, Andy, the article. So AI in the, in the classroom, pro, uh, con, KS, is it allowed in yours? Well, to learn and to educate. Okay, that's entirely different than generating uh, uh, answers to questions. That, I mean, I, if I hand a student a question on an exam, if they're online, they go to ChatGBT, put the question in, and they get this very long answer that usually starts off with, that's a complex question, and here are the pros and cons. It has nothing to do with what was covered in the class. It covers what was out there in the ether about it, which is nice and interesting, but it doesn't answer what they learned in class. So they plug that, they copy and paste that into the uh, answer. And um, there's no learning. There's no um, uh, digestion in their own mind by thinking critically about what the situation was. It's just copy and paste. So uh, I'm not... Uh, uh, down on AI, I think that AI is a remarkable tool, but it. But I don't see that in that article they said anything about how it's useful in the in the classroom that I know of. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous substitute for learning and thinking. It's not learning and thinking by itself. Despite our previous conversation on my lack of marketing skills and ability. Uh, I do have a background in marketing from college. And one of the things that stuck out is I was taking a, uh, the, the class was like market research. So all about market research and surveys and data collection and data processing and all this other stuff about how to, you know, how to get those targets right when you're doing your market research for your product. Um, obviously something I've never done when it comes to this show, I don't care. Um, but I learned about it and during the exam, the, uh, the professor had all the formulas written on the board. And he said, if you think you need a formula that's not on the board, you let me know which formula you need and I will put it on the board. And his rationale behind this was when you get into the real world, memorization doesn't matter. It's your ability to use the tools that you are given and how best to access that information. And I, you know, I'm not a computer programmer, but I have been on Reddit, and I've seen the, you know, the, the anecdotes of computer programmers and the code writers, and a lot, of, a lot of the code that gets shared out and about 
uh, was previously written by somebody else. And so new coders need not uh, reinvent the wheel when it comes to coding whatever project they're working on. Like, I, I forget, you know, I, I thought it was like Substack, and it might have been back in the day. MC, maybe you can help me out on this. But there's like a coding repository of a whole bunch of code that you can just go to and ask other programmers questions on what code they use to solve this problem, right? And none of it had anything to do with, you know, necessarily like what you learned. It was your ability to access information. So if you're giving out an exam and you're like, you know, the goal of the exam is to acquire this information and your students have the capability to acquire the information, right? Who cares if they can memorize it, right? Like I'm, I'm at work right now. I have a new project at work. It's one of the few times that I'm moderately excited to go in. And it's because um, we're putting together like a, a 15 second Facebook commercial for roofing, siding windows and doors, right? And, you know, the boss comes up to me and he goes like, can you do it? And I go, well, yes, I can. Like, I don't know how yet, right? But I've done small video editing. You've seen, you know, the minor work that I've done, you know, with just the basic tools that comes with Windows, right? But if you want this to be professionally done, you're either going to pay someone to do it or you're going to pay me to learn how to do it. And he went with pay me to learn how to do it. So I spent, what, like, you know, three or four hours on Thursday um, just watching tutorials and practicing on this 15-second video clip that we had um, in, in a video editing program, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't go to school for it. If you asked me how to, like, zip in word, text from the right to the, to the center and have it, like, pop out on the screen, I wouldn't be able to give you that answer in a lecture format, right? But I know how to do it now because I know where to access the resources on how to acquire that information, so with Ch with ChatGPT, if you know if if you know if supply goes down and demand is held steady, what happens to the price? Oh, well, I don't know offhand, but I know where to look for the answer. Isn't that good enough? Depends on what the class is about. Yeah. Well, let's stick with econ, because right? that's what you teach, right? Like. Okay. Um, if I ask a question uh, about what is the impact of the minimum wage? Okay. Yep. The student can plug that question into the internet and get a very textbook type of answer, which is what every textbook has, but that's not my, what my class talks about. My okay. class talks about uh, the ethics of it, the morality of it, the uh, legitimacy of depriving one person of a job because another person wants a higher wage, uh, the, the fact that uh, a company may have to move abroad because they can't uh, afford to. Uh, pay the increased minimum wage. There's a lot of things that won't come across from ChatGPT when they when they put that into the in the internet. None of it actually will come into the uh, the answer that they get from ChatGPT. But it's the kind of stuff that my class challenges them to think about and analyze. All right. Difference. That's why I don't use textbooks actually because they they're so uh, mundane and I think if you're talking about the normal textbook class, maybe ChatGPT does that because they survey the textbooks all over the all over the internet yeah. when they when they give their their mundane answers. And also, they you know they, they come up with vocabulary and language that you know the student doesn't have in their own working. So it's it's not part of their vocabulary. It's not part of their thinking. They're just copying and pasting. That's that's not an answer. 
And yes, uh, now I, I see what you're saying about, you know, you, you learn where the tools are, but if learning how to use ChatGPT is is your only tool for learning, I'd, I'd say you're not going to go very far in the real world. Okay. I mean, well, I don't know. I, sh I shouldn't say that because there's parts of the real world that are real suited to ChatGPT. Yeah. What's your thought about all this? I mean, do you think that... What's the question? While you think about, about it, let me interject real quick. Because okay. you used an interesting term, uh, KS. You said critical thinking. Mm -hmm. right? And if I, I might suggest uh, that that's a big part of what you don't get from ChatGPT. Right. And if you're not having to go after rote memorization or you know where to find, you know, the the easy answers, it allows more time for your brain to do that critical thinking side of things. Right. Because it's not all spent reading the textbook or memorizing formulas or whatever. You you can actually think critically. And yeah. I would I would then suggest that if that's the goal, right, then then there ought to be some process to rewrite the exam questions in such a way that it allows the openness of critical thinking rather than looking for a specific answer. Yeah, I think I think KS's class does a pretty good job at that. But um, ChatGBT is is a tool, and sometimes it's not the right tool for the job. Sometimes it is. Um, yeah. critical thinking is is severely lacking whether GPT. Uh, exists or not um so i don't i, I think um yeah may, maybe um there there has to be you know maybe grok will be eventually programmed to be able to critically think i doubt it but um or maybe you do oral exams where they actually have to stand in front of you and like formulate a response to whatever question you ask them instead of being able to plug it into chat gpt while at home on the internet well yeah, yeah, that can be done. If you've got uh, uh, a lot of students, it's um, more difficult to take one at a time and have them uh, interact with you like, like that. But yeah, I mean, anything can be done. Yeah, there you go. But uh, but I don't. But if I, yeah, okay. Well, well I, I so far that in is the classroom one way to this year, thinking. <clears throat> if a student is is going to Chat DBT to get a start at a wide range of of thoughts about a topic that's one thing and that's usually where they stop they say okay they'll plug that in well if that's a start that's that's fine use chat gbt to get you uh, a an introduction to a wide range of views pro and con on some some topic but then i want them to be able to think beyond that and start critically analyzing the pros and cons of, you know are why are they pros and cons and i from my perspective have always saying well um where is government force involved? What are you threatening somebody? The, the chat GPT isn't going to... Most, most kids say, are not interested in thinking. They just want to know what the answer is. Yeah. Because yeah. why are they actually there? They are there to get their grade and move on to the next level. <laughs> that's, that's all yeah. it is. They don't want to think. They just want to know what the answer is. I'll, I'll share this but brief, I'll share this brief story. I want to teach. Yeah. yeah. I'll share this brief story before we wrap up here. Because, again, I not only do I have the background in marketing, I've got the background in economics. And I was in a macroeconomics class uh, mm -hmm. with a teacher who had just come back from sabbatical. And his exams were so off the wall at the <laughs> time that he had to waive like two, you know, instead of dropping like the, the worst exam, he had to drop like half the half the exams that we took during the over the course of the semester, um, else everyone in the class would have failed. 
And the question is why? Why was this the thing back then? Now, I didn't realize it at the time. I just went, what the hell? What the fuck is this guy asking? You know, I don't understand the question, let alone be able to come up with the answer based on what he said in class and what I read in the textbook. Um, And later on in life, realized that what he was asking on the exam was third and fourth order questions that you had to understand the material deeply in order to jump to that conclusion. And no one did. Right. We didn't mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't think about the third and fourth order, uh, you know, responses, because the only thing the textbook gave and the only thing we got in the lecture was the first order response. Right. What what was bold in the paragraph? I can tell you that because that's why they fucking bolded it in the textbook. And I didn't think beyond that. Right. But he he I presume never talked to him about it, expected college level students, you know, in the late 90s and early aughts to be able to think beyond that and think critically about the question being asked and formulate a response. And he was wrong at the time. Final thoughts. All right. Good. We'll wrap it there. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, this is the only time I plug it. Uh, Patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to y'all next week. Peace. Aloha. Aloha.